Hello and welcome to Front End Nationwide. This is The Athletic's dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. Aaron Portsine with you on a snowy Friday morning. Allison Lucan is here. Hello. And we have a special guest. John Buchagross is in the house. Bucci, hello. Hello, Allison. Hello, Porty. Good to be with you talking Ohio and hockey. Two of my favorite things. Yeah, so you know him. ESPN Sports Center anchor John Buchagross. You you certainly recall him, the legacy that was built on NHL tonight. He's an author. He's the proprietor of that great hashtag Bucci's OT Challenge. Man, it's great to have you here. I think the first time I ever met you may have been in the high back corner tavern after the first Blue Jackets game ever. Bucci. Yes, that was uh, against the Chicago Blackhawks. It was uh, your boy Mike. Your boy Michael A. Race actually yes. bequeathed bequeathed me to choose the three stars of the game. I think it was originally going to be his duties that night and as the member of the media made that decision he gave it to me as i was in town to watch the first ever blue jacket game and uh that was quite quite a quite a throw i believe i named bruce gardner first star of the game even though yes. the blue jackets lost he, he scored the first goal ever in blue jacket history yes and, uh he was also a star i think what was that guy's name rito van arks or something or von yes. arks Reto von Arx. Two goals that night. Yeah, <laughs> his first. And then I went to the second Blue Jack. And then I went to the second Blue Jacket game. I actually, said oh, yeah. for that one against the Kings. I think yes. we also lost that one. Yeah, that was a rough night at the rink there. That second night it was. Yeah, but I remember driving home from the Highback that night, thinking, God, is this possible? Is this what this is going to be like? Because it was such a heady time in Columbus. Um, it was. To have joined the major leagues for the first time was really, really something. Well, it's great to have it really you. Really was, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I'll just say, like, I don't think kids, you know, 16, 20-year-old, 21-year-old can really understand uh, what it was like, like you said, that night and that feeling of, you know, that, that kind of town Columbus was, you know, even yep. 20 years prior, it's a real cow town. Right. And then obviously they start to find their track in the 80s and, you know, the 90s. They start to build up into a nice city, and then suddenly this happens, and where it is now, I don't think they really understand. It was like almost man landing on the moon right. uh, when the Blue Jackets right. came into town. It, it, was a, yeah. it was a big deal. Yeah, and it's just it's changed so much about the city and the perception of the city. It's changed physically the city. That part of town was... Uh, literally the ruins of an old prison and now it's like this example <laughs> of what other cities use is like this is what we want and here's a way to do it well it's a big weekend right, in right. uh blue jackets host detroit tonight they host the avalanche on saturday they've got the hockey analytics conference allison's been a big part of this on saturday and sunday in columbus the first ever maybe the first annual uh we shall see <laughs> But the way things have gone with the Blue Jackets this year, it's really quite something. And, I, Bucci, I know you're always paying attention to this crew, um, along with other teams, but Columbus has a special place in your heart. Are you as gobsmacked as just about everybody else at what's going on here? 18-2-5 since the sort of the first week of December when it looked like this was going to be a, a really difficult season in Columbus, and they have just been tearing through it ever since. It really is. It really is a bit shocking, especially when you look at the numbers and you see how Felino is down offensively and Atkinson is down offensively. And, 
you know, thankfully, the, you know, Dubois has a kind of carving out a niche as what kind of pro looks like he's going to be. And, uh, you know, Nyquist certainly has provided offense um, that they really need at this point or throughout the season. So, yeah, it's shocking. But when you watch them play, obviously, from the back end out and with the absolute sublime play of, you know, Jones and Morensky and just how high end they really are, that's a pretty good place to start for any hockey team when you have that situation in net like it is and you have those kinds of defensemen and you have that kind of coaching um you know you can see why they're competent and what the, but the line is very fine as we know and it doesn't take much to dip down six seven points and you're out of it and so it's a fine line but they're walking it and they're and they're hanging in there and you and you hope they can somehow find a scoring touch here to help so you know to help support all this great defensive play to kind of, you know, because they'll need it for the finishing kick. It's, it's a tough kick. Their schedule's tough, especially those last eight games. Yep. Six on the road and really tough opponents. So this is something you got to keep an eye on. They want to make sure they keep their head above water and even give themselves some cushion going into that final couple of weeks, which, you know, you take you got to be careful playing the schedule game. You never know what's going to happen at that point. But that's a tough finish for them. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the coaching uh, you sounded a little bit like Tortorella there saying they need to get a cushion. I wonder if you've been talking to the man. But <laughs> he, he has done such a job this year. I wonder if you can put in put uh, sort of your thoughts into that. Forty, They've allowed 43 goals on this 25-game stretch that they're on, 18-2-5. They just don't allow much. And you talk to coaches around this league and how a team – especially like this, how a team checks and how they play five-man unit defense is to a lot of people the hallmark of a good coach. Um, the offense takes care of it. These guys are so creative, these players. They create and they they score, and certainly there are tendencies you want to create with the team. But the measure of a well-coached team is how they defend and how engaged they are uh, defensively. What what when you look at this team, what do you see in terms of the job that John Tortorella and his staff have done this season? Yeah, certainly. You know, Tortorella is the guy who delivers the message. He's the CEO. He has the you know he's he's the personality. He is Steve Jobs. That's his job to market what he wants to do to to market his team to, to market the personality he can sell to his own guys. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, someone like Brad Shaw is just that he's the guy in the back making the Apple computers, you know, and he's the guy right. who's kind of breaking it all down. That's a great combination to have. And they have a lot of personality with their assistants, uh, with, with the, you know, with the other assistant as well. And so, but I really do, I remember talking about this before the season. I was actually talking to A-Race about it, just kind of on the phone as, as buds and and saying that really, to me, what, what Felino and Atkinson bring in terms of really being all in on the organization, Atkinson really being all in on the city and right. really investing in the city literally, I just thought that would go a long way, and it does go a long way to having both feet in. And so many times in life, whether I follow it in the college game, with the college hockey, how kids have one foot in college, one foot out, especially the first-rounders, they never really commit themselves to the present and to the total process. And you see it professionally with guys who are UFAs, or whether they're in Ottawa or somewhere. It's like, well, am I going to be here? Do I want to commit here? Do I want to build a house here? Do I want to plant roots here? And when you kind of have people like Felino and Atkinson leading that charge, I think that really helps. That helps Tortorella. 
it helps everybody buy in and that kind of and that kind of leads to a five-man unit playing their all every shift and and even seth jones the way he's you know he, he's a, a great another great example and a great character guy who just is kind of is all in he was never you know he's just a rock so they have a bunch of rocks and that helps and then, like you said, the scoring touch comes from them, and they need to find some down the stretch. It's going to be—I don't think they can keep this up, this goal prevention up. Um, so they got to start scoring eventually. But yeah, the whole operation's in pretty good shape. It, it, it really is pretty admirable. Bucci, you were talking about personality. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, there's this young goaltender, Elvis Merzlikens. Um, the name alone, right, uh, makes an impact. But yeah. I mean, just. Here, you know, they're obviously trying to make sure that the kid has a healthy track to his first NHL year, but just nationally and and from what you're seeing from him, like, what's the ceiling for this guy and what could he be even off the ice if he stays on this trajectory? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'm I'm kind of upset I didn't name one of my boys Elvis, (laughs) and I'm all... I'm also surprised there aren't more Elvis is. It's, it's just the coolest name. And maybe that maybe that's why maybe it's intimidating. It's like, if I name my kid Elvis, he's going to be as cool as Elvis Presley. And that's a tough burden to put on a kid. But it's really such a cool name. Like, there's no uncool Elvises. They're all cool. And they all have personality. Uh, we should, I'm going to push one of my name other boys Elvis. That's it right now. But, um, but yeah, he's got so much personality. And, you know, obviously he was, uh, he's a guy that's had a very interesting past. And and it's something that's going to you know bear watching. Well, does he have the kind of personality and the kind of uh, you know training to be a consistent force for a long period of time? Will he be, will he be a streaky? Is he more set up to be a an emotional streak type of athlete and or as a goaltender? And will this evaporate at some point? That's something we got to wait and see with time. Can he long term feed off that emotion and feed off that intensity and? And uh, and that that's the trick for a goaltender, and, and obviously the big challenge they make psychologically to keep their confidence up and keep that swag on. It's such a position of swag and confidence. You know, Patrick Wall was probably the best all time at it, who really played with emotion and swagger, and that's probably where Elvis should probably mold his game after. Um, Marty Brodeur was more just a happy-go-lucky, uh, really kind of a light guy in terms of not much psychological baggage. Hashik was more intense. He burned with just a fire of intensity, and every save was life and death. And that's how he kind of, you know, eventually found his groove. So that's the thing about a goaltender is finding that person. What's their personality? There's, like I said, I just named three guys who were pretty different. And so it'd be fun to watch it and find it because it's great to see there's so few goalies with personality like that who stand out like they used to, like the three guys I named. And the position got kind of bland. So I think that's one thing he brings is not only obviously his great game that he's brought to Columbus and the jolt he brings energetically with his emotion, but just he's so unique and he stands out, which is great for us. Yeah, where where do you stand? Even I mean, even beyond Elvis, hockey's still that sport, right? I mean, the NHL runs a commercial where they pride themselves on every player saying "we" and "team." Where do you stand? Yeah. Where do you stand on that evolution of? of letting these guys' personalities stand out, letting these teams have stars, marketable stars that, that become, you know, it recognized in and of themselves even bigger than the team in some ways. Not totally, but in some ways. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I think we have a decent amount of that. I think we've always, you know, I think stars have stood out. and um, But uh, 
you know, I mean, especially looking back to the 70s and the 80s, and, you know, you had some interesting characters, like a Terry O'Reilly in Boston, and, you know, he was a guy who had tons of personality, and, and Ranger fans always had their favorite uh, Rangers, whoever, you know, ever may be. And, you know, Brian Leach stood out, even though he was quiet, and obviously Mark Messier, and, and people can stand out. Um, and I think it's really up to the player to do that, and I don't think teams would – it does take a certain touch for sure because when we see guys try to do that, uh, it doesn't always fit. Mm-hmm. But um, that is an interesting question. It, it, it's it's uh, I kind of like the sport that way. I do like how it is totally selfless, and they are and they do kind of buy in, and it is all for one, one for all. That's kind of kind of demands that we talked about before with five man units, and you you do have to give up a little bit yourself at the door and. And, uh, but yeah, it would be nice to see a few more personalities burst through a little bit, but I just think that I, I think people overall and young people overall aren't as interesting as they used to be because how we homogenize them at a young age mm-hmm. with these travel teams and everything. And I think that's where it, and obviously heads buried in the phone and, and everyone. And, and so I think a lot of it is that, and, um, and so, but maybe there'll be some late bloomers. Maybe as we evolve as a as a species, people will start to find their personality in their twenties and thirties on their own, and and then they can kind of express themselves that way. But uh, it's an interesting time for kids. They're so careful. They're so scared, and the phone has people so much filled with anxiety of uh, of being, you know, of bringing stuff up from their past, or they see examples of it. And I think they're just very afraid, and and it seems like young people are more and more cautious. And we like our athletes to be just just not cautious and, and, and fun and obviously not mean-spirited or do terrible things, but to be kind of filled with personality and just let it fly. Uh, but I think kids are afraid to do that nowadays. Yeah, I think, Bucci, it's interesting how many more – Not uh, there, there were a lot more outbursts back in the day in the dressing room. I've talked about this before where – there were a lot more confrontations, a lot more flowery language, and a lot more back and forth with reporters when there weren't so many little cameras around. In other yeah. words, right, you could have a spat, you could clear the air, and nobody would, it wouldn't get 2.3 million hits on YouTube or whatever and end up in the, the great collection with uh, Larry Brooks and Torts and such. Um, <laughs> and now everybody is on on high alert and i think these kids are told it's the 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 conversation in the back of the bus in bull durham how to not say anything these guys all have it mastered now we joke about it but it's true like i don't know if it's their agents that get to them if it's just at an early age being taught how to say something without really saying anything but they're all really really good at it right but then there's times you see the kachuk drew dowdy thing that was yes fantastic to, to hear to, to hear drew dowdy unfiltered like that and to have that and and uh to, to feel like this is a this is a guy who's let's face it he is filthy rich now he, he's a yeah. wealthy he's a wealthy man yet he still acts and plays like that i think that is so awesome i think that's so hard to do. i think that's another part of his players are so comfortable and, and they do focus on the next contract and they're in the bridge contract. It's always, but let's face it, money was always on players' minds going back to yeah. the thirties and forties and fifties. That hasn't changed, but now there's the light at the end of the tunnel can definitely get them to chase that light more in the past. There was no hope of striking it rich. You're just kind of yeah. grinding. 
and, and that probably resulted in, in the kind of play on the ice and the and, and the confrontations in the room because the tension was so high economically. Now you don't have that as much. It's much more comfortable. These guys live comfortable lives. But um, yeah, that, that I mean that's why that that's why Matthew Kachuk I think is right. such a, a a gem for this league because he bring his dad has definitely infilled, definitely raised his boys to bring that old school mentality to the game because I think Keith notices how rare it is, how marketable it is, how it can how it can make you stand out as a player. And it's only going to help you contract time because that kind of attention can sometimes make you almost overrated because you provide yeah. so much drama. You might, but, but he's still a very good player. Let's know. But it can also inflate what you really already are. And it's sure. only going to help you economically stand out, get endorsements, get contracts, end up on good teams. And so I think it's very smart that Keith sees that. And I mean, he has tons of personality. So no, no surprise his boys don't either. And his wife and his daughter is a great athlete as well. So, uh, so, and that's a great family. But yeah, so Matthew's a great example of what I think he could become a role model for young kids. Hey, you can express yourself. You can play a certain way. You can play on the edge if you can, especially if you can play. And but when you hear him in the media, he still is trained very well. He's uh, he says stuff without going too far. But it, right. I I hope more can go in that direction going forward. Yeah. Sometimes all he needs a role model. Sometimes all he needs a role model. Yeah. Yeah. And Tortorella is always sort of lamenting the fact that there aren't characters in the game anymore. He may have one. I think it makes everybody a little <laughs> bit nervous, though, when it's a goalie. Um, and a young goalie <laughs> yeah, that has right. proven himself. Really. <laughs> Just, you know, because they are always, it's hilarious. Allison and I were always laughing about it. This is a guy, Elvis, who transcends blue jackets and hockey, even here in this market here, where people who. If you said to people today, name three Blue Jackets, there's a lot of people that would have Elvis on their list already. He's played like 20. Oh, no years. doubt. Um, like I said, it goes like, back to the name. It's a cool name. Yeah. It's a memorable name. It, it might be the most memorable name of the 20th century. It's certainly <laughs> in the top three in America. Right. You know, it's right. certainly in the top three, five names. One name. What do you think? Elvis. I mean, that's got to yeah. be right in the top three. Crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it, it's, it's something we've been joking about for a while. We'll, we'll, we'll certainly enjoy the ride here uh, sure. with Elvis. Um, Bucci, the trade deadline, we are less than, what are we, less than three weeks now from the trade deadline. Um, you yep. mentioned the, the Blue Jackets. It's hard to imagine that they can sustain this allowing 1.7 goals a game as they've done over the last 25 it's hard to imagine that that can be sustained over the final 28. Uh, we shall see. They, this team needs to score more. You mentioned uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois. He's having a fine season for the Blue Jackets. He's their leading point getter at 42 points. That's tied for 59th in the league. Now, if you just ex sort of extrapolate it, that means there are two scores on every team uh, in this in this field of 60, well, there's 62 guys He's tied for 59. The point is they need more firepower. I, th I think they have to have more firepower if they expect to do anything um, in the playoffs or perhaps even to get that final surge to get there. Is there a name out there on the market? I mean, there's there's uh, Pajot in Ottawa. There's a ton of wingers that are bopping around that could be available. I mean, me, I don't think Taylor Hall is available again by the – break because Arizona's still in it but is there 
a, a name maybe that is is attractive to you if you're the Blue Jackets, or less specifically, a position. Is when you look at this team, you say this is what they need, and and the kind of player they need to sort of elevate themselves. I think they're definitely going to look at a top six, obviously, with a center in mind. I think that's their number one on top of the whiteboard thing that you would look at. Um, and then, obviously, when you're a team like the Blue Jackets, there's different ways you go about that. Let's face it. I mean, do they do one of those kind of deals like they did when they got Seth Jones? You know? Right. They, you know, they Jones for, like, Mitch Marner. You know, something yeah. like that. that. That's, you know, in reverse what they did before. Yeah, Johansson for Jones, you know, just something like that. Do they go after like a Derek Stepan, uh, Arizona? I think Arizona's going to fall out of it. Even if they don't, they may see some value. And hey, and the Blue Jackets could use a Stepan. They need a centerman. He's a George vet. Lowe. He kind of fits in with Felino and Atkinson. Um, probably get him for a, a draft pick, uh, first round pick, I think, unless it was something huge. Um, so I think they're going to hold on to that. And then you have people like. I don't, you know, someone like a Jake DeBrusque in Boston, a young winger like that who's never going to be a gigantic star, but maybe the Blue Jackets have something that the Bruins see that they could maybe tighten their as they go for a Stanley Cup in these next two years because uh, Marchand and Krejci and Bergeron are just about ready to, you know, they're approaching that time where they're where they're going to have to. But, again, the Bruins might look at the, the guy going forward. They don't want to trade that kind of guy. But not, not right. that kind of guy, you know. Th- so those kinds of deals. And, hey, look, what about Detroit? Is Detroit going to blow it up? If Dylan Larkin becomes available, yeah. if they want to tear it all the way down and move Larkin as well and for some future ones or something, you know, I'm sure the Blue Jackets would be interested in Dylan Larkin. You know? and, right. uh, and, and so, you know, I'm sure they look at everything like that. I, I don't think they'd make a big move. It doesn't seem they're primed for a big move. Um, or even uh, even a take a chance for a number one pick move. I don't think they're going to do that. They're going to they're going to kind of look around and again that, that's that's how they operate. I, that's all Yarmo Yarmo's not afraid to make the big deal, and then he'll look at you know the other if that's not here. What about this? Would you go for a veteran guy that does seem to be the fit? Um, but like you said, it, it's, it, I uh, really do think they're going to try to add a top six with a center in mind, but I, I don't think. It's, Absolute urgent thing on their mind. Yeah, uh, we've talked about this many times through the years in the past. And one thing Columbus has never done—they've done a lot of losing here. They've never done extreme losing at the right time. And this was—I <laughs> think you started making this point like in '03, and you were right. Yeah, um, they got Nash. Sure, they traded up from three to one. But they, they, while other teams are picking off Crosby and Malkin and Ovechkin and McKinnon uh, and Matthews, the Blue Jackets have always sort of oddly prided themselves on these strong finishes in April that are going to carry over to October and typically by the next October are totally forgotten. Um, yep. Now, I'm not as big a proponent of the tank as many others are and I don't know that you're, you've ever completely argued for the tank but I, I look at Buffalo and I go oh god I look at Edmonton and I realize how long it's taken them despite many years of tanks uh, intentional or otherwise and I wonder where you come in on that 
idea of tanking. Now, where you stood in the first place, I should probably let you articulate that. But how Buffalo and maybe Edmonton have have forced you, if they have, to reconsider how to the appropriate avenue to those kind of players. Yeah, I mean, I've never been someone who's holier than thou. Don't ever tank. Um, I do think it has a it has a, a benefit. It has a, a psychological benefit from starting over um, to, to tearing things down and starting over and, and building them up slowly. And um, but you do have to get lucky, like you said. It, uh, you know, there's some drafts when you have a high pick and and you can get someone two or three, and under some drafts you get a high pick and you get Rusty Questla. That's just you know, it's it's that that's the best that was available. And so it, it does come down to luck. You could sometimes see the future. You could see the future with Crosby and McDavid. You knew when they were 16 they were going to be generational. So you could time it for, for them. Um, you know, th- th- this next draft coming up, you know, doesn't appear to be a Crosby or a, uh, uh, or David, but certainly a very good player. That, But, you know, with the lottery now, and it's not a guarantee, obviously, if there's a 20% chance, so a good chance. But... No, I'm okay with kind of doing that, but you then have to obviously support it. And sometimes that can take, you know, it took a while with the Red Wings and Iserman when he first came up. Now he's doing it at the GM. So he knows it could still take 10 years, 11 years to win a cup with that guy. Or yeah. you can be Pittsburgh. You can be Pittsburgh and your guy can be a captain raising the cup at 2021. <laughs> you know? So, uh, but again, they got lucky with, with, uh, with, with Malkin and then with uh, filling the rest of the roster out. So um, I'm okay with it if you see it and it can help you get a guy. But nowadays there's so much depth and with the hard cap, um, I think it's harder, harder to do that and, and, and make a, and and get, and make a splash. But I I still, I still think it does have some merit. I understand why teams do it. (laughs) Bucci, we could not have you on and not talk about, Ohio State hockey. Um, I have the privilege to, to cover that team as well, both the men and the women. And can oh, you cool. can you just put into perspective from what you've seen, just the job that Steve Rolick and his staff have done, and how they're really kind of raising the bar for that program overall? Yeah, it's uh, it's great what Steve has done. A great player at Wisconsin, won a national championship there. He's an old school guy who loves the game and, and played the game with an old school grit. Um, that he tries to instill with his boys now. <laughs> and I talked, I was up at Wisconsin doing the Buckeye game there for ESPNU and just talking with him. And, and, uh, you can sense that sometimes, man, we had so much fun back in the day and we were so together and we had, we were just a bunch of crazy kids just playing hockey hard. And he kind of wants to instill that in his boys now and his team and, and, uh, and hit to experience it. You know, it's a great part of your life. And don't let like, that's what goes back to me about living in the present and, uh, and, and just enjoying where you're at in that experience of playing. And you, you could see he really wants to do that. And Steve Miller, the assistant, mm-hmm. is a, just a brilliant, brilliant tactician and what he can bring to the game and his pedigree of winning national championships in, in the past. So, yeah, it's great for Ohio State. Um, I would love to see an on-campus rink with small and intimate and loud and uh, to continue that program going forward, they're you know they're, they're right kind of a bubble team to make the NCAA tournament. They kind of lack some high end scoring um, that they need, um, but they have good leadership and good coaching. And so I hope they can finish strong in the Big Ten, um, big one this weekend, and they can uh, 
and they can make the tournament. I'd love to see the, the Frozen Fours in Detroit this year. So obviously, when I'm doing this, will be my my eighth one I'm doing for ESPN. The play I play with Barry Melrose. So I would love to see a great for Ohio State to make it because obviously they they could bring out a lot of fans and and give the arena a big jolt. And so um, I am kind of I'm rooting for them for uh, not only for my Ohio heritage, but also it would be good for the the event and make it more exciting and. Uh, um, and, and bring the atmosphere into the arena, which we're looking for for college hockey. So, but Steve and the staff have done a great job. He's really built that program, and hopefully, they can start getting some really high-end guys, uh, first-round picks, high, high first-round picks to sell that Ohio State brand and the Columbus brand, and, and have a, some relationship with the Blue Jackets, and and they can really kind of up their level of uh, players to get start getting first-rounders and, and some big-time talent. You know, they. This is a team too, not to the degree like the Blue Jackets, but they. You know, they graduated some key guys last year, and you mentioned you know some of the offensive talent. Is this Buckeye team where you think they should be right now in terms of not just the Big Ten rankings, but the NCAA rankings? I think so. Like I said, you know, there is the top sixteen for now. Um, you know, it, it, finishing strong is is obviously a big key. They still got you know they they got. Penn, big Penn State weekend coming up um, at home, and then you know they finish with Michigan State and Wisconsin. So certainly they could they can finish with a good kick, and uh, to at least just in case they win the Big Ten postseason tournament, which gets you the automatic bid. Hopefully they can still get in at at large. So they need to finish strong in these last six games, and uh, and to really to really ensure that. And so. You know, Tanner Lazinski coming back, the Flyers draft mm-hmm. pick was huge. They put, they put him as a center in the top line. He has so much character, and, and that, that really saved their season in a lot of ways. So um, hopefully they can, they can find their scoring touch, much like the Blue Jackets, and, and, and kind of separate themselves. Because right now, you know, 16-9-3, they're right there. Um, but you have to be careful. The Big Ten's very tight, good balance, yeah. and it's a good from top to bottom. So they, they need to finish strong. D- Bucci, do you have any thoughts on Carson Meyer? We, you know, we talk about that Blue Jackets-Ohio State connection. There's a draft pick playing right up the road at, at the shot every weekend. That's right, yeah. He's a nifty little player, you know, 5'11", 180, um, number 72. Got one of those big numbers, so he's easy to find. Um, so, you know, he, he, he's one of those, those character guys who has some pretty good skill in and, and tight spots, and so fun watch. And... And so, yeah, so I love to see those Ohio kids uh, make it and obviously get, and that's something, you know, I think that eventually Ohio, Ohio State wants to do. They should get the top Ohio kid, and, uh, and, and whether they're from Powell or from Dublin. And, and so it's good to see a kid from Powell do that. And with the Blue Jacket tie, only makes it better. So, yeah, you talk, you talk, we talked earlier about marketing players and pushing players. Well, you know, they should push him. Uh, just, just, again, that, that helps kids have something someone to look up to someone to identify i know when i was a young kid growing up a teenager these college kids in my little town that i grew up in there they they become like heroes and you can really i can make a difference for a kid and uh I'd, i'd like to see you know the buckeyes do that and really own ohio and then uh and kind of ride off that blue jacket wave and then and then obviously recruit where else you have to recruit as well so no that's a good story with him Bucci, what's the best chicken parm you've ever had? <laughs> well, mine is outstanding. I feel like I have mastered it after uh, nice. heavy repetition. I'm looking forward to making it for you for you guys someday. 
Um, so, yeah, so uh, in uh, Federal Hill in Providence, I always wish all the NCAA regionals were in Providence. Great Italian restaurants up on Federal Hill. Um, but they kind of go back there about every four years. I think it should be a, a permanent spot. They have some, a couple of great places for chicken parm. So uh, it's not a difficult dish to make, not no. one to mess up. So a- anyone can do it, um, but it's just a little experimentation. You have to get a good piece of chicken, obviously, and a good sauce. That's the most important right. factor. And don't overcook it. But, uh, yeah, I, I love my parm. And you, of course, pound the chicken before you bread it. You know, I, I get the thin slice anyway, so uh, oh, I, nice. I should get a chicken pounding hammer because, uh, yeah, I do I do like a piece as big as my face. So uh, right. I, I imagine if I, if I get a nice chicken breast and just kind of smash it and kind of I can thin that myself. never thought about that. I don't have the proper tool for that. I have to look that up. Um, Any hammer can be a chicken hammer. But, but, yeah, I tend to go thin slice because they cook better and, and they uh, yeah. then ultimately taste better. Hardly, yeah, the thicker the chicken, it, it does, it's, it's tougher to cook it through consistently. And is John Amore's pizza in Steubenville as good as everybody says it is? <laughs> well, DiCarlo's was the big spot. Oh! That was kind of our... Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, DiCarlo's pizza was kind of like the you know the local... When you say Steubenville, you think DiCarlo's. And uh, I think there's one over in Weirton, too, uh, DiCarlo. So, uh, yeah, that was kind of the name I grew up with because uh, one of the coaches, Pepe DiCarlo, was one of my assistant basketball coaches in the sixth grade for Aquinas Elementary. Thick Italian accent, old Pepe DiCarlo. Fantastic. When are you coming back? Yeah. I know. I need to get back. You know, I'm working a little bit less at ESPN. I kind of scaled back my work a little bit to kind of catch my breath after 30 years of working five nights a week till 2 a.m. So I kind of... Wow. I kind of cut back a little bit on my own, so I have more time to do stuff. And so I, I'm going to try to zip out to Ohio before the hockey season's over to uh, to catch some Blue Jacket magic. Well, let us know when you come. Thanks again for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Cordy. Thank you, Allison. Great talking hockey. Great talking Ohio. Yeah, good times, man. Thanks so much for your time. Allison, thanks uh, for this, and thanks for running the show here. Uh, credit to our great uh david cook for the entry music Bucci, you got to hear the entry music it's fantastic uh composed just for the show for that yeah um and i think we're good allison anything to add just wanted to let folks know that reminder that uh while the podcast is in the athletic app it's also on all the major podcast services so please subscribe where you like to listen to podcasts and we will be there for you um to listen to when you can Awesome. All right. Thanks for thanks for listening. Thanks for reading. Thanks for watching those post game videos. Uh, we'll keep cranking them out, and we will talk to you folks uh, next week. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.